Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. One of the challenges that all believers face is to love what God loves and to value what God values and to not let the culture around us dictate our values. So I want to encourage you, don't, don't let the culture that you grew up in hold you back. Don't let the culture that you grew up in take you away from the things of God. Every culture has strengths. Every culture has um, positive attributes. But no culture gets it right 100%. That's why everyone needs God. And as we're reading in the Torah portion this week, there's a warning to Israel. It's in Leviticus chapter 18. There's a warning about not mimicking the people around us. Leviticus 18 verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them, I am the Lord your God. You're not to engage in the activities found in the land of Egypt where you used to live. You're not to engage in the activities found in the land of Canaan where I'm bringing you. Nor are you to live by their laws or by their teachings. You are to obey my rulings, my laws, my teachings, and live accordingly. I am the Lord, your God. You are to observe my laws and rulings. If a person does them, he will have life through them. I am the Lord. Now, it's worth thinking a little bit about this. You're not to engage in the activities found in the land of Egypt. Well, people were eating and drinking normal food in Egypt. You're not supposed to do that. Of course you can do that. There were people in Egypt who were merciful. Remember the daughter of Pharaoh, who God used in such a powerful way to rescue Moses and to uh, foster uh, mother Moses. Should you do that? Yeah, of course. What this really means is don't do the ungodly things. Don't do the things that were accepted in the culture but are not acceptable to God. It's a, it's a word of warning. Just because you've grown up in a culture doesn't mean that the culture you grew up in taught perfectly how to live with God. And we should all know this. This is why it's a warning to Israel. Israel, if you wanna be faithful to God, you have to draw close to God and learn about him and learn his ways because how you've grown up is not enough. Even if you hang out with good people, it doesn't mean they'll always get things right. Now let's go to a, the next chapter. Chapter 19 of Leviticus, starting in verse 9. Just two verses that speak about ethical issues that would not be obvious, nor would they make common sense to people. But this is what the Lord said, when you harvest the ripe crops produced in your land, don't harvest all the way to the corners of your field and don't gather the ears of grain left by the harvesters. 
In the same way, don't gather the grapes left on the vine or fallen on the ground after the, the harvest. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. You see, the normal work of a farmer is to gather up the entire crop and to harvest everything and to be faithful. You would think that someone's doing a good job if they harvest everything they possibly can. But the Lord says, that may seem obvious to you, but that's not what I want you to do. I want you to leave some behind for the people who have nothing, to leave something behind for the poor, for the foreigner, for the immigrant, for the one who has no means of income or inadequate income. And in this way, you'll show mercy to them and you will, in this way, help take care of them. So I'll provide something for them through you, but I'm telling you, stay away from the corners and don't try to get everything off the vines that you possibly can. Leave them for the needy. So here we see something that the Lord is establishing an idea for Israel that's a law about mercy. So justice is reflected in mercy, and mercy is reflected in justice. I was thinking about some of the laws that are described in this week's double Torah portion, and some of them, if, if you look at, at the Torah portion this week, you'll notice some of them would be about um, sexual mores and boundaries, what's permitted and what's, what's considered abhorrent to God. And we live in a culture and in times when many people would think that uh, those are old-fashioned views or conservative views. And let's be straight, they are. They're old-fashioned in this way. They come from thousands of years ago. They're conservative in that they're not permissive, in that they don't permit everything. And they don't buy the, the modern argument that whatever two consenting adults do is just fine. They say, no, there are boundaries. And the boundaries are very specific. So what's interesting is in the Torah portion this week, there are laws and mores and ethics and regulations and teachings that would be viewed by some as conservative and even, you know, like narrow-minded. And then there are other laws that would be viewed by some as being very liberal, too liberal, too conservative and too liberal. It reminds me of the porridge. You know, some like it hot, some like it cold. Some like it in the pot, three days old. We see this in the scriptures, this uh, surprising combination of values. It's not what you would think, and this is why there's a risk if you simply take your values from the culture around you and from a, um, a narrow spectrum of political viewpoints because you may miss some of the other parts. You may not even be aware they're in the Bible. 
In fact, people are notorious for reading the Bible fast or skipping over the portions they don't like and then spending a lot of time on the portions they do like. But the interesting thing about the scriptures and the laws of God is it's, they offend us equally. They are different than what we would have come up with ourselves. But they can also inspire us in challenging ways. So we, we have this warning, and it's a warning to those who are taking God's authority seriously, and that is don't just draw your um, ethics and your morality from the culture that you grew up in or you came out of, and don't draw it out of the culture that you're going into, but rather draw close to the Lord and learn from the Lord what is good and pleasing in His sight. Now, with that in mind, I want to show how this can work out a little bit in Luke chapter 7. So if you'll turn there, how many of you have Bibles with you? Okay, if you have a Bible with you, make sure you open it, Luke chapter 7. We're going to look at the first 10 verses. And if you have a digital Bible, you don't really open it in the same way. Sure, you, do. Sure, you like tap it. <clears throat> do what you got to do to look at the screen. Luke chapter 7, verse 1, is where we will start. When Yeshua had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. In Hebrew, Kfar Nachem. It's the village of Nachem. And Nachem is a name of a person, but it also means the comforter. So Capernaum means the village of the comforter. It's an interesting name. And there was there a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Yeshua and sent some elders of the Jewish people to him asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Yeshua, they pleaded earnestly with him. Now I want you to take note of this because there's lots of surprises just in those first few verses that we're looking at. Number one, Yeshua is going to a village, and he's going to a village with a certain name and character, Capernaum, Kfarnachem. And that village um, would turn out to be a really interesting place in history because into the fourth century, the congregations, the synagogues in Capernaum included Messianic Jews, Jewish believers in Messiah, along with all other Jews who gathered together. It was one of the rare places after the fall of Jerusalem where Jewish people of all kinds continued to, to stay together and to value their diversity. There was a centurion servant there. Now, what's a centurion? It's a Roman army officer. And who are the Romans? They're occupying. They're occupying forces. So these are soldiers from an occupying force. And the Romans were, you know, very sophisticated, very well organized, quite um, successful 
economically and with their military. They were truly an imperial force, but they weren't great in other ways. They believed, like the Egyptians did, that their ruler was God incarnate, and they didn't get that right. Caesar was not God, nor was Pharaoh God. But the centurion heard of Yeshua, and so he sent some of the elders of the Jews to him. Now that's interesting. He wants, the centurion wants to connect with Yeshua. And so what does he do? He goes to the local Jewish community leaders and he says, I need you to go to Yeshua and ask him to come and heal my servant. And they do. So if you have an idea that there is a monolithic resistance on the part of the Jews of that area to Yeshua the Messiah, this helps you understand that's not true. There were Jews who were open to Yeshua and were looking for him to, uh, to bring the good news. And so these elders came to him and it says in verse 4, when they came to Yeshua, they pleaded earnestly with him. And I want you to pay attention to the argument or the logic that they used. They said, this man deserves to have you do this. They could have said, if you don't do this, he'll kill us. He's all powerful here. We're afraid of him. You've got to do this to spare us. Please, please. But that's not what they said. They said, this is a good man. And he deserves you coming to him and healing his servant. Now that is an expression of appreciation. Do you see that? They're appreciating a foreigner who is a military officer occupying, leading the occupation in their town. A foreigner who serves an imperial government that includes all sorts of brutalities and false ideas and wrong theology. But this man, they say, is worthy of Yeshua. This man deserves to have you do this. Here's the, here's the reason. Because he loves our nation and he's built our synagogue. Isn't that interesting? This man is demonstrating love. He's using his position as an opportunity to show love to the Jewish people. That's an incredible, an incredible lesson, I think, for anyone who's involved in, in military or in cross-cultural work. The man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation. Let's say that, he loves our nation and he's built our synagogue. He's built our synagogue. Isn't that interesting? This man paid for the synagogue to be built in Capernaum. The building in which the community of faith gathers. So Yeshua went with them. He wasn't far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, sir, don't trouble yourself. Okay, so you get this, the Jewish elders come first. Now the friends come 
And they say, sir, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. The reason I didn't come to you is because I didn't consider myself worthy of your attention. You're higher than I am. Can you imagine a Roman military officer talking like this to some kind of rabble-rousing Jewish um, something? Because people weren't sure who Yeshua was or what he was. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. Let's repeat that. Say the word, and my servant will be healed. And then he explains, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servants, do this and he does it. So the centurion is passing this word to Yeshua. You have authority, your word is authoritative. If you say be healed, then my servant will be healed. And this echoes the blessing uh, that, that we say each Shabbat before, actually after the reading of the Haftorah. All of your words are true. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, rock of all eternities, righteous in all generations, the trustworthy God who says and does, who speaks and makes it come to pass. How many times have we said that? Who speaks and makes it come to pass. That is what the centurion is saying. He says, I'm, I'm an officer, I know what it's like. I speak, it comes to pass. You're even higher than me. You speak, it comes to pass. If you just say, be healed, he'll be healed. Faithful are you, Lord, our God. Faithful are your words. Not one of your words is turned back unfulfilled, for you are a faithful and compassionate king. Blessed are you, Lord, the God who is faithful in all his words. That's the Haftorah blessing after the reading. And so this centurion is echoing this important idea that God is faithful. He speaks, it comes to pass. He calls things that are not as though they were. When he says something, it's true. And it happens. Verse 9 getting back to the text of Luke 7, verse 9. When Yeshua heard this, he was amazed, and turning to the crowd following him, he, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great emunah. Say that word with me, emunah. Such great emunah, even in Israel. Now, emunah means faith. Say that, faith. And it also means faithfulness. Say that too, faithfulness. Faith and faithfulness. I haven't found such great faith, even in Israel. And then the men who had been sent returned to the house, and they found the servant well. It was just like that. Great faith, great faith and faithfulness. Trusting and being trustworthy. These are different sides of the centurion's faith. He trusted God. Now remember this. He trusted God and he trusted the Messiah of Israel. Was he Jewish? No. Do you understand what's going on here? They're breaking the rules together. 
the Roman centurion is breaking his culture's rules. Yeshua the Messiah is breaking his culture's rules. They're showing honor and respect to each other. The, the centurion is showing, is showing love to the Jewish people. And the Jewish people are responding with honor and love towards him. Do you see all that going on? Does that fit inside the narrow caricature that you know everybody's always at odds, that uh, people can't get along, that they can't find ways of cooperating and respecting each other? It doesn't. It's radical. It's radical. Gentiles showing love and respect to Jews, Jews showing love and respect to Gentiles. Do you see it in the text? I want you to see it. It, it should, if you look carefully, be clear enough to you. So this man, this centurion, trusted Yeshua. He loved the Jewish people. And he demonstrated this love by his actions. He paid for the synagogue. His generosity was noteworthy. His generosity was not anonymous or invisible. It was known. He was generous in a surprising way. But it was similar to how that widow who gave the widow's might, you remember? How she was generous. It may have been invisible to other people, but who saw her do it? Yeshua. And then what did he do? He said, look, look at her. She's giving more than anybody else. It got his attention. But it was not self-seeking nor was it crass. It was filled with love. Paul would later have to explain to new believers, you can't minister authentically or effectively if love is not part of your motivation. If you're just going through supernatural ministry, if you're even being extremely generous, but it's not because of love, it's for some other reason. For instance, guilt. You know, in America, if you, if you want to raise money, guilt the people. Uh, infomercials are largely based, infomercial fundraising, as I've said before, is largely based on guilt. And Americans hate to feel guilty, but worse, they hate to stay feeling guilty. And will give in order to um, lift off the, the bad feelings of guilt. Whether it's important or not, they just don't want to feel guilty. Yeah. But this centurion wasn't self-seeking, but his generosity was visible. It was highly regarded. It was authentic. In fact, he had a reputation for generosity. How do we know that? He could go and with a word ask Jewish elders, would you go and speak to Yeshua and ask him to come and heal. And they said, sure. He had relationships with the locals around him. A great example for military officers, but also a great example for any believer. And he's a great example for Gentiles who are joining together with the Jewish people. But he's a great example for Jews who want to be faithful to God and to 
God's people. In fact, he's a great example for Jews about how God works among Gentiles to do things that Jews aren't able to do on their own. The Jews didn't have enough money to build their own synagogue. And the centurion said, you know what? I'll, I'll build the synagogue. I'll pay for it myself. And he did. He provided for them what they couldn't provide for themselves. It reminds me about Paul's teaching to the Roman believers that they're blessed by the Jewish people and they're to be a blessing to the Jewish people. And then a reminder that the Jews are dependent on the Gentiles having this kind of fullness. And the Gentiles are dependent on the Jews having fullness as well. And until there's reciprocity between Jews and Gentiles under the authority of Messiah Yeshua, the Messiah of Israel, who's the Messiah of the whole world, until there's reciprocity and Jews and Gentiles are showing loving kindness towards each other, then things aren't going to really consummate and we're going to keep waiting for more and more. And what are we waiting for? It's important in the Messianic movement to know that one of the things we're waiting for is for Jews to get our hearts right towards Gentiles and for Gentiles to get their hearts right toward Jews and to be in one community where that can happen. So this centurion, this centurion wants his servant healed. And what's the end result? His servant is healed. And this story is in the scriptures, and it's a rich story, but it's a short story. It's so short that people can read it sometimes and they don't even know the details. They don't even pay attention to the details. And oh, they pick up something, you know, like, oh, he's, he's got great faith. Yeah, that's good. But what kind of faith? Faith and faithfulness. Faith in God and generosity to God's people. Do you see how it's combined so well in this situation? It's a wonderful example of the surprising ways that God works. Yeshua looks at the centurion and all that he's done and says, can't even think of any Jews who have this kind of faith and faithfulness in Israel. And if you think about it, it's not a, it's not a rebuke, it's admiration. It's like this. No Jew tried to build a synagogue out of his own pocket. Uh-uh, it was a centurion. A Roman who did it. Wow. And who came to me believing that I could heal? A centurion, a Roman. I believe that God likes to turn things upside down sometimes, to challenge us. So that if you get narrow in your ways and you think, you know, the people who are like me and are narrow like me, we're really good. That you'll stop thinking that way about yourself. <laughs> and you'll realize there are people who are not like you who are also good, who get Yeshua's attention. And there are people who maybe don't catch your attention or you don't click with, you don't have the right chemistry with, but they do have the right chemistry with God. And God takes notice of them and pays attention to them. 
Well, I want to encourage you, be a student of the scriptures, read the word, and let the word of God counsel you about how to think about what is good and what is not, about what's valuable and what is not, what's important. And if you're only getting, getting your values from the culture around you and the TV channels you're watching and the news that you subscribe to and like to agree with, then you're missing out on a fascinating world that God's put you in. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for working in so surprising ways, and thank you for being so interesting. Thank you for loving us in all of our diversity and all of our differences. And even when we were enemies to you and opposed to you and arguing against you and defying you and rebellious, you gave your life for us so that we could have real life. And you rescued us so that we could serve you. And let it be, Lord, that we have a high view of the people around us and all that you're doing through them that we could learn to appreciate people who have different political views and who have different strengths than we have, and that we could enrich each other so that we could be iron sharpening iron and together we could all be sharp. We ask this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. And as, as you're rising, I want to give you some good news. You know, we have... Um, one of the most popular podcasts, Jewish podcasts in America or in the world. And in the next two or three days, we're gonna reach nine million feeds and downloads. It's really an awesome reach. And we're hearing from people all over the world, people who, who thank you for gathering together and thank Beth Israel for serving all over the world in this way. So keep it up, and let's continue to be an encouragement to people everywhere we can. Yivarechecha Adonai, v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai, p'navelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai, p'navelecha, v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.